This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Name Three Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan. I'm Jenna Million, and this is a podcast where we challenge sexism in the music industry and empower fangirls. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did. And if you stick around long enough, we'll also let you in on some new music the girls are already crazy about. So today, you probably noticed from the title, we have a very big episode for you guys. Sarah, would you like to give us some of the details? Yeah, definitely. And obviously this from the title seems like it might be a little bit out of our wheelhouse, but this is a very big feminist issue, a very big media heavy issue, a very big like confusion of the general population issue, as well as like a fandom problem. So it really overlaps with multiple themes of our podcast. And of course, because we're named three songs, we do include some more like music examples within this discussion today. But we thought it was very important to use the platform that we have to talk about the implications that the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial are going to have on feminism and women's rights and survivors' rights and just what is going to happen in the wake of Johnny Depp winning that defamation trial. Because again, it was a defamation trial. It was not a abuse trial. It was nothing else other than that, even though the media and the internet was kind of acting as though it wasn't just a cut and dry defamation trial, which Johnny Depp should have if he wasn't an abuser taken the Washington Post to trial instead of making Amber Heard relive everything that she had to relive throughout that trial. Yep. So yeah, and I know that this can be scary for some people. To listen to and we understand that a lot of you might have grown up as a Johnny Depp fan household but we think it's important that as name three songs and as this community like we've built up trust with you as our listeners and we feel like it's really important for you to give us the opportunity to try and explain to you like why you might not have realized that accidentally you were falling into a right-wing neo-nazi trap of a thing by supporting Johnny Depp throughout this trial. Or maybe you just weren't paying attention at all and didn't know that this is going to have a lot of real world implications for us in our daily lives. And we're here to explain that too. Yeah. And this is a very, very big topic and one that while Jenna and I have paid attention to it was definitely one that we needed to call in reinforcements to help us explain what was going on and to really get to the nitty gritty of what came before it, what led to it and what this could lead to afterwards. So we do have possibly the most exciting guest ever today. So (laughs) Jenna, would you like to tell everybody who we've gotten to speak with us on this topic? Yes. Today we are joined by Asia Romano, who is is one of our personal favorite journalists. We've quoted their work a lot. And Asia is a culture reporter for Vox, focusing on cultural ethics as well as criticism and commentary on movies, TV, theater, and other media. Asia is a member of the Writers Guild and a 2019 fellow of the National Critics Institute. They're frequent guests on podcasts, radio, media, and at conferences, speaking to a broad range of topics, including geek and tech culture, fandom, online extremism, and the internet. So as you can tell already, 
the most perfect guest for this. And with all that being said, let's get right into it. Hi, Asia. Welcome to Name Three Songs, and thanks for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. We're so excited to have you, especially because if you guys have been listening to our podcast, you know that we've been fans of Asia's work for quite some time. And so talking to you specifically about like this Deb Heard trial and how this is really going to affect the culture and just women's ability to talk about the abuse that they've suffered, especially from like famous men, men in the spotlight, like it's going to become a lot harder and a lot easier for those men who have abused the women that they've been in relationships with to kind of get away with abusing them on like a more public forum like in a court case and I feel like today the reason we wanted to discuss this is because we do like looking at media and the way that media responds to things and the way that in turn fans respond to things and then things kind of you know snowball out of control because fans don't know how to control themselves and the media definitely doesn't know how to control themselves especially when there's like conspiracies afoot and all of these like fun little buzzwords that have been happening around this specific trial where it went from kind of like a women's safety thing to just like memes and lots of, you know, white supremacy things and conspiracy theories and everything that's like really bad, like turning something that's not political into a political idea and therefore is going to snowball effect into like other cases that we've talked about on this podcast and that people are aware of, such as like Kesha and Dr. Luke and Megan Thee Stallion and Tory Lanez and even Evan Rachel Wood and Marilyn Manson, which is a big thing right now also because of Johnny Depp's friendship with Marilyn Manson. So yeah, I mean, it's going to be a big discussion today just about like the cultural impacts of like what this case really means and we're really thankful that you're here to discuss this with us no thank you for having me I think it's such an important topic because I think at some point like you said the trial ceased to be about you know just a legal ruling on these these four words or whatever in a Washington Post article and just became this cultural juggernaut that I think we'll probably be talking about for years if not decades to come like very much like the OJ Simpson trial in a way in terms of what it came to represent and what it meant for the culture yeah absolutely I think that's a great way of putting it and just to give a few specifics for like those of you if you're not like 100% familiar with this case in December 2018 the Washington Post published an article written by Heard with the headline quote I spoke up against sexual violence and faced our culture's wrath that has to change in the article Heard said that she has become quote a public figure representing domestic abuse but did not mention her ex-husband by name but for Johnny Depp this was enough fuel to take her to court and not take the Washington Post to court but specifically take Amber heard to court. And also, Asia, when you wrote for Vox, you said, this trial basically came down to a yes or no question over whether Heard had the right to call herself a victim of domestic abuse. And since has kind of spiraled and snowballed into somehow united far-right misogynists with middle-of-the-road liberals and geeky progressive fandom acolytes of depth. So there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack here. We're gonna do a lot of this unpacking together, but can you kind of give us an overview of like what you felt like was happening as you were watching all this unfold? So like I said in that article, this should have been a pretty clear-cut defamation case. Like, a lot of people have pointed out that Heard had already won a defamation suit in the UK. Yeah. Where you have to basically have much more evidence and credible Mm -hmm. sources of reputation to to prove a defamation case in the UK. So I think actually most people probably, I think in the beginning at least, I know I in the beginning expected this to be a pretty clear, open and shut, yes or no procedural thing, right? But then as it played out for weeks and weeks and weeks, I think the whole trial lasted like six weeks total, right? 
Like that's a huge amount of time for it to become this like huge cultural thing and for people to become completely consumed by it. So it, it became about how Heard was acting on the stand. It became about whether people thought she was lying by the way she like tossed her hair or the way she looked shifty. And it became about memes on TikTok. It became about people kind of valorizing all Johnny Depp's characters, you know, and it became about all of these things. And then of course, as it sort of snowballed out of control, it became much, 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 much less about that actual simple yes, no question that it should have been. And all of these other things, you know, there was an SNL skit that sort of tried to parody the emptiness of the whole thing, but Mm -hmm. just sort of made a really compelling argument for how vicious the whole media circus and social media circus around it all had become. And I think SNL was playing into that, you know? Yeah. I think there were so many sort of points of departure from getting back to that actual, did she have the right to call herself a domestic abuse victim basically and just on the surface of it so like for instance you talked about how Depp sued her and not the Washington Post right so I think we can look to the reason he did that in this text message that was presented in part in the trial where he wrote she's begging for total global humiliation she's gonna get it I have no mercy no fear and not not an ounce of emotion or what I once thought was love for this gold digging low level dime a dozen mushy pointless dangling overused flappy fish market I can only hope that karma kicks in and takes the gift of breath from her sorry man but now i will stop at nothing okay so if we just look at that text yeah i'm sorry that text is abusive that text alone gives her the right to call herself a representative of of domestic abuse because like i'm sorry that's it like that's all you need in terms of is there evidence (laughs) that she was abused i think so i think there's compelling evidence right there but then again like from top to bottom there's so much evidence and michael hobbs obviously I'm if you're familiar with this trial you're probably familiar with him because he became such a really articulate proponent of Amber Heard throughout the trial and he wrote a really good Substack piece summarizing the mountains of evidence in this case but just Mm -hmm. going back to like the first incident where Depp and Heard got in a fight on an airplane and he you know started yelling at her he insulted her he verbally abused her and then he physically abused her he slapped her and kicked her in the back and he did this in front of witnesses like there were multiple witnesses on the plane that saw it there were multiple corroborating pieces of evidence from the time it happened so like if we just again boil it down to that one incident can she call herself a victim of domestic abuse the answer is yes so you think about how on a level simple that should be and then you look at what the trial became and was allowed to balloon into it's sort of baffling in a way because i think the trial, you know, when the judge made the decision to allow cameras in the court, for one thing, you know, that sort of solidified its role as this cultural icon rather than just a simple defamation suit, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, because by allowing cameras into the trial, you opened up the space for TikTok memes. You opened up yeah. the space for people to harass her on her way into the court. You know, you saw all those protesters standing outside the, the court just calling her a liar, calling her a manipulative asshole, like all of these things. And you never really saw any of that from the other side. I mean, you did have obviously like competing social media hashtags, right? Yeah. In support for one or the other. But there was a lot of research showing that the hashtags for Johnny Depp had been essentially created and proliferated and manipulated far and wide across the internet by what we would call bad actors. So basically by people with ties to the alt-right, by people like Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire, because he went out and bought like $50,000 worth of Facebook ads bashing Which, Amber like, Heard. Which like, how is that even legal? Like, like how is that 
legal. It sounds like it should not be legal. Well, I think, again, it's completely divorced from what's happening in the courtroom, right? It's divorced from what should have, again, have been that simple legal question. Yes, no. Could she prove this? Did she have the right to say this? But all of that sort of bled into the trial and bled into the way, you know, people on the witness stand were acting, you know, the way the lawyers were acting. Because you can't cut yourself off from this huge, massive amount of social media scrutiny. You know, Johnny Depp got essentially what he wanted. He wanted to put her on trial in front of the world and humiliate her in public in front of millions of people. And he literally did that. Yeah. I mean, that's a thing that shocks me to my core that people are choosing to like ignore or like whatever the case may be just like not acknowledge that that was what was happening because there are so many situations where in like celebrity relationships where the man is so much more powerful than the woman is and they use that to their advantage for example it's kind of like Mariah Carey's relationship with Tommy Mottola where he was the record exec that signed her and then wound up being in a relationship with her getting married keeping her captive in his house not letting her go anywhere like she would carry a purse around their house at all times in hopes of like figuring out a way to escape and like people believe that and yet they're refusing to believe Amber Heard who like Amber Heard is barely famous compared to Johnny Depp you know Amber Heard was just like a pretty blonde girl who did some decent acting and was in some decent movies but like her career is nothing in comparison and just the fact that like the Washington Post is owned by Jeff Bezos and Johnny Depp could have taken them to court for this like millions like what is it like 50 million dollars that he sued her for in defamation it's like the Washington Post is who published this article not Amber Heard they approved it and they put it in for publication and like there was this BBC article from September of 2020 that was saying that the only reason why Johnny Depp was even able to file this claim is because the Washington Post is based out of Virginia where plaintiffs can pursue claims for defamation by inference, implication, or insinuation, which is just insane. Because like I, so I studied journalism in England and like knowing the libel laws and the fact that the son beat Johnny Depp in 12 out of 14 counts and like now we're allowed to refer to him as a wife beater in every article they ever talk about him in. Like (laughs) the one good thing the son has done. (laughs) I know it's just like, it's impressive, honestly, because nobody wins in UK. Like the media never wins. And the fact that the media came out on top just proves how deranged of an abuser Johnny Depp was and like how much he was doing these things in public like you said like on an airplane texting doing these things where it's like he's done so much abuse towards Amber Heard and he has a long history of it too yeah exactly with others yeah yeah like he was always known for essentially like you said kind of having this very volatile off the wall explosive temper yeah and he was known for being very vicious to his exes and you know there was a history of this like again a lot of times you know even when you talk about how clear cut the UK case was people who support Johnny Depp will be like but no you don't understand the judge was biased and something and they'll like throw all these things (laughs) at you about sort of these ad hoc arguments about how oh the judge was biased and they should have been taken off the case for all these like kind of random side reasons Reasons. It's yeah. all about obscuring, and this is sort of the textbook pattern of how you derail a case like this and how you really manipulate the narrative away from what the simple facts are. You know, you throw a bunch of ad hoc accusations at 
the at the thing <laughs> in yeah. order to distract people and you know what about this what about this look at the judge look at the way they're acting on the stand like look at all these things and essentially like it's just you know even going back to what you were talking about like with the power difference mm-hmm. he was twice her age when they yeah. met like yep. like she was yeah. 23 and he was 46 like she's literally half his age and statistically there is a mountain of research that points to the fact that huge age differences like that in domestic relationships are predictors of intimate partner violence and Mm -hmm. emotional abuse and coercive control like that's been very very well established so like if you look at her statistically even she is a textbook abuse victim yeah and i think what was really alarming to me is that so many people who were otherwise liberal who were otherwise feminists who supported me too could look at her and be like she's lying but she's lying or they would you know judge her by the fact that she stammered on the stand well she's facing her abuser in court a Mm -hmm. man who literally said he wanted to globally humiliate her you know who behaved like a monster towards her maybe she's nervous and so much of this just seemed to be about not only denying her humanity but denying her the truth of what it is to be a victim of domestic abuse and to Mm -hmm. be a victim of you know long-term emotional abuse you know and the effects that has on people there seemed to be a systematic attempt to not only undermine her as a human but undermine her as a quote-unquote representative of domestic abuse like specifically to undermine that aspect of her identity even the way she acted on the stand like everything about this case pretty much kind of made the point that she was a representative of domestic abuse because all the things that she went through you know the way that she came across you know just she clearly was not okay after this you know and I think that that's something that also really got lost because people were in such a rush to demonize her and to really kind of take the case away from the facts and the evidence and take it out of what I think it should have been, which was a referendum on domestic abuse in general. Yeah. Well, the thing that like you just mentioned about like taking the facts out of it, you spent a lot of time writing about this, is the fact that we're talking about like a media circus and we're talking about like social media blowing up, but a lot of this stems back to the alt-right and like things that they've kind of proven to be tactics to undermine factual evidence like this. So yeah, right, there's right. like a lot there. Yeah, I don't know if your listeners are going to be familiar with Gamergate. Yeah, can um, you give just a little bit of background sure, on that sure, as well? Sure. So Gamergate, it became this thing, this phenomenon that was known as Gamergate in 2014, but it had actually been sort of percolating for several years before then on social mm-hmm. media and basically was an online, streamlined, systematized community response to a bunch of things, but especially the existence of feminists in gaming cultures and, and gaming subcommunities. And what happened was essentially this tactic emerged by which misogynist gamers in the gaming community and adjacent communities formed essentially uh, communities dedicated to harassing specific feminists within the gaming communities. The most three prominent ones were Zoe Quinn, Anita Sarkeesian, and Brianna Wu. And there were some others, like there were a couple of, of journalists who were also thrown in there, and there were a couple of feminist allies who were male who were also thrown in there. But basically, they became sort of the faces of the targets of Gamergate and the community and we're talking thousands of people essentially organized to begin harassing them and to begin undermining them in every way they could they would make nasty negative memes about them they would try and get them fired for from their positions like they actually were successful like several people from Nintendo for example got fired as part of a wave of Gamergate (laughs) instigation against them because they had been posting progressive feminist stuff on their social media 
and the Gamergators basically reported them successfully to Nintendo and got them fired. <laughs> so things like this were happening. They also were getting, like, I think at one point they got Gawker Media, they got them blacklisted from sponsors, like Mercedes-Benz, I think, because basically the Gamergators were reporting these media outlets to their advertisers and being like, look, these people are being biased. And it was basically a giant, giant, giant media manipulation campaign. And it was all done mainly through the internet, mainly through online organizing, mainly through systematic harassment. And we're talking things like bomb threats, rape threats, death threats. At several points, all of them had to, you know, temporarily or permanently move out of their houses. Anita Sarkeesian had lectures at universities canceled or postponed where she was supposed to speak because of threats made to the campus while she was there. And this went on for years. Like, I think a lot of people thought it, no, 2014? Like, mm-hmm. I know I actually had an editor who asked me to write, uh, now that Gamergate is over piece at the oh end God. of 2014. <laughs> and I was like, Gamergate is not over. What are you talking yeah. about? But there was a push to kind of like say, okay, that happened. But it did not end there. And it basically elevated a bunch of people into the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Most notably, Milo Yiannopoulos, who was... <laughs> Mm-hmm. He started out being this kind of like hack UK reporter, like kind of tabloid journalist, who then completely parlayed his entire identity into being the champion of Gamergate. And from there, started working at Breitbart and then became essentially the face of the alt-right yeah. prior to the Trump campaign for a time. And so all of this really directly flowed into the tactics that the alt-right used to help get Trump elected. And then from there has only spread. So these tactics of online systematized organization, systematic sustained harassment, media manipulation, the use of memes and ironic imagery to spread and amplify the message and this way of kind of snowballing advertisers and people who are quote unquote authorities who should know better. (laughs) All of these things work together in tandem to create a sustained narrative of abuse that the purpose of it is to drive out basically the women that you're trying to target or people who you don't like, basically. And we've sort of seen that spread and we've seen it take over so many types of communities. Well, I mean, it's everywhere. Like it's in this death hurt thing that we're talking about. Like, I think it's very, very scary, like hearing you explain this because I did not know what Gamergate was before doing research for this. So I'm not sure how familiar like our listeners are or just other people are, but like this level of hatred and organizing Like, literally is going to the White House, like, as we all know. But, like, beyond that, people think, like, oh, well, that's just, like, that one faction, whatever. Like, I don't think the feminists who were following this Depp Heard case understood or even realized that this was at play. Like, in people's minds, these are two separate things. And people are not drawing the connection. And our, like, normal feminists who would be standing up for survivors of abuse or would be speaking out about these things were just very quiet. And it was, like, suddenly the conversation was just being taken over by this. And then it's, like, everyday YouTubers, everyday TikTokers, were just like feeding into this content and as Michael Hobbs has said nobody was looking at the facts but like also nobody realized like what they were even being fed came from the alt-right right I almost feel like the word alt-right the term feels almost outdated because mm. so much of that has been now mainstreamed into yeah. right-wing politics and right-wing yeah. subculture in general mm. but yeah like you you look at everything that's happening in, in politics and in online extremism right now and it's just that playbook is essentially everywhere and And a lot of liberal and progressive feminists and allies 
probably saw this case as a, a way to go, okay, yes, me too, but also we understand that men can also be victims because yeah. there was a lot of that floating around this trial too, you know, like, look, look, Johnny Depp just needs to prove that he's a victim, you know, and if you're only looking at this from far away, if you haven't had a chance to analyze the evidence, you're just seeing every day, oh, this guy I like who was in Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> is in a trial and people are making memes, memes about how cool he is and how it's his time to get his own back and yeah. yay, that sounds good, <laughs> you know, and also if you're too busy to stop and drill down into the antics and all you're hearing from afar is some SNL joke about how someone shit on the bed like yeah. you're not gonna want to look too close because it seems like it's awful and nasty and complicated yeah and yeah and yeah. Yeah. people who manipulate these kinds of things are counting on you to do that you know they're oh, counting yeah. on people to sort of not dig into the details and then they also are counting at the same time on people who do dig into the details to find ways to undercut them or mm-hmm. kind of toss eight dozen rabbit holes and conspiracy theories at you to really distract you and they'll be like oh but did you see that Amber Heard wore the same neck like tie pin that Johnny Depp wore the day before (laughs) that means that she's trying to manipulate him and she's trying to like harass him from the stand it's just things like that were really a big part of the of the social media circus as you said around this trial because I think once you've systematized that way of manipulation then when you get to actual fans people who want to believe Johnny Depp because they like him I mean they are easy to abuse and they're very easy to manipulate and fans will go out there and find all the evidence for you they will do the work for you because fans are extremely good as I know you you guys know they're extremely good at creating conspiracy theories on their own and finding ways to harass and victimize and villainize the people they want to villainize all on their own yeah because that was the one thing that was so shocking to me watching this unfold and like the media that was the other frustrating thing is it's like a lot of like right-wing media was reporting on this and a lot of like the normal outlets you would expect to be reporting on it weren't reporting on it as much because I feel like it's similar to like what Michael Hobbs said on the cancel me daddy podcast where it's like a lot of people went into it being like well they both were in the wrong but once you actually like paid attention that wasn't the case but also it's as if nobody was willing to acknowledge that this was a defamation case. Everybody was viewing it as it was like a sexual abuse case where like they were both trying to prove that the other was an abuser, but that was not what the point of the case was at all. And so it's like that weird thing where there were these people being like, oh, men can be abused too. Like this is a great case to show that women can abuse men. And it's like, that's literally not what the point is. But nobody was willing to like pay attention to the fact that this was a cut and dry defamation case. Nobody was willing to pay attention to the fact that like Tucker Carlson was talking about this a lot more than like TMZ was and like these Mm -hmm. things where you're just like oh like the normal players in celebrity things are not being played in the same way and it's like why is that and it's like because like we keep saying like the alt-right was taking this and running with it and trying to essentially throw out me to throw out all of this like forward momentum because it's like oh well if Amber Heard's lying then all these women who have like called out Donald Trump and all these other dumb people right they're lying too obviously because they're not famous so like why should we believe them and the most unhinged thing I saw was like some woman on TikTok who was like a Johnny Depp fan being like oh I found this proof that Amber Heard's makeup that she said she used 
didn't actually exist yet. And she like literally drove to the courthouse in Virginia to like bring evidence to like prove this. And I'm like, this is a defamation case. Like, what are you doing? And the fact that people were doing that just tells you how successful the campaign was. Because yeah. I think something else that really didn't get a lot of attention is that this was going on for years before this particular defamation case. Like my colleague, Constance Grady, who was writing about this back in uh, whatever the first UK suit was, 2018, 2017. She has said repeatedly that every time she writes about this trial, about the Depp Heard case in general, like she gets reams more harassment than she does for any other celebrity situation that she writes about. And this has been going on for years. Like they have been preparing for this for years, basically, to do exactly what they did during the trial itself. And the fact that they were so successful tells you how streamlined all of these manipulation tactics have become. And a lot of it also is very organic because now you have TikTok that, you know, makes these things go viral and makes so many people who, like you said, otherwise were normal YouTubers, normal TikTokers, just turn over their entire social media presences to covering the trial. And also things like Court TV, which typically is a pretty neutral space for like true crime stuff and just like court footage like totally just milked the hell out of this like it was such a shallow crass way for the media to get you know hits and clicks in a way and it really did remind me of like those famed media circus trials from like the early 20th century like where you'd have reporters just like over sensationalizing everything yeah Yeah. because there was that level of lack of self-awareness happening here i think or at least that level of not caring you know and willful exploitation I think it felt like, for lack of better terms, I'm just going to say like the feminist media, it felt like people who would normally have a more clear head about this. The conversation was not super loud. A lot of those like journals, as you said, like weren't really covering this, whereas like the alt-right came in throwing punches, like prepared for this whole thing. So it's like in a way, the feminist side of the movement had their guard down wasn't expecting this and then it's like from my perspective from the average youtubers and the average tiktokers instead of being presented with like two different theories and like two different sides because as we know a lot of people read headlines and they don't actually read articles so how Mm. can we expect them to like listen to an actual court case and actually look at evidence and like actually think for themselves so it's like if nobody on the feminist side was even presenting with them with the idea of like hey did you even look at the facts like let's actually look at the facts you know they're just being consumed by this like oh overwhelmingly support for Depp and like you said like picking out those weird little things like oh her voice was shaking and like the most minor like behavioral things like that has nothing to do with the fact that he did abuse her but because that side of the conversation was so loud the middle of the road or like feminist leaning people didn't even think twice about it because those feminist ideas weren't even presented to them right Right. And even things like in the trial itself, there was a lack of testimony from, say, domestic violence experts Mm -hmm. because it wasn't a sexual abuse trial. It was a defamation case, you know, (laughs) so you didn't necessarily need to define domestic violence because the standards of evidence and proof were different. But for the public watching this without experts front and center, putting all of this in context, contextualizing her behavior and her actions, showing how she was a textbook survivor of domestic violence the way that she behaved is the way that people who deal with the domestic abuse behave you know without people really centering that the conversation just became about you know oh she's always been a liar here are these other situations where she was mean to people or she yelled at her sister there were all sorts of just derailing arguments again and i think This goes back to the idea that the people in the middle and the center who were busy and didn't have a lot of time to look at the facts of the case 
just sort of went with whatever yeah. side was loudest and yeah. whatever side was making arguments that seemed reasonable from a yeah. distance that were in I front agree. of them. Yeah, I feel like. I mean, it's not even I feel like. I mean, it was obvious that the alt-right and the conservative media and all these people were really leaning into the fact that Johnny Depp was at one point in his career like this beloved Disney character. So you have these people who might not even normally pay attention to stuff like this paying attention because all of a sudden it's Johnny Depp who was like once hot and then also once a drunk pirate and like somebody who like you maybe bought a toy of at Disneyland once or whatever the case may be. And so it's just like this really weird situation where they got somebody who for some reason the general public view as like generally likable even though Johnny Depp's whole history has been that of wrecking hotel rooms, setting things on fire dating Winona Ryder when she was underage and he wasn't and you know doing lots of questionable things throughout his life of like who he would date and like what he was doing and drinking and behavior and all that sort of stuff and like the friends like this man's best friend is Marilyn Manson like I feel like that says enough about a person and so it's just like this weird thing where again it's like this thing that we talk about on the podcast a lot of like the media controlling things and like the general public not having the same understanding of people as people who are very like pop culture literate have and that pop culture literate people aren't always the same people as the fans of things because fans will just take things and run with them because they're just like well I loved him in this one thing once so now I will die for him and it's weird hey podcast listener do you love talking about movies music tv comics and games then you should be listening to the great pop culture debate back in bigger than ever for season nine this season the panelists discuss the best James Bond film the best Elton John single the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. No, I I think it's actually not that weird because if you look at the direction that pop culture has taken over the last like decade or so, Mm -hmm. you can see, especially with the advent of social media and with the advent of like interactive fandoms really becoming part of the mainstream, you can see fandom and members of fandom and geek culture getting smarter all the time in terms of analysis and their ability to dig into details and strategically gamify solving things. And just to your point there, like the rise and popularization of true crime. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I say this as a huge true crime fan, you know, I'm not involved in things like web sleuths, but those types of communities have absolutely become part of the larger cultural fanish shift towards deduction and solving things like true detective, Westworld, Lost, you know, all of these like big cultural juggernaut pieces of media where fans were encouraged to really dig in and find the answer and find the solution, right? Like all of these pieces of media became huge parts of the fabric of online communities community interaction right but this all progressed without necessarily fans like also gaining in their ability to critique and criticize and think critically and think rationally even about what they were doing so you know they gained the ability to put puzzle pieces together but then they would look at these puzzle pieces and come up with you know two plus two equals 18 you know because (laughs) they want it to equal 18 right i'm just like losing my mind a little bit right now because it feels (laughs) like in the early 2000s i feel like there's a lot of conversation about like oh shooter video games are brainwashing 
young teenagers, stuff like that. But it's like literally you just described like Lost, Westworld, all these like really popular like fantasy TV shows where there's like this crime solving element. It literally like we are seeing the repercussions of that on our society because everyone thinks they live in like this lawless land where they yeah. can just do whatever they want. And like if they hunt down the right thing, they can change the course of society, which is what they're literally doing. I think there's also, too, an element of just fanish community involved. Like, a lot of this comes back to, like, the rise of really granular subcultures within fandom. I'm trying really hard not to just be, like, K-pop. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, because, obviously, K-pop is not the only example here. But, like, where you have these factions within communities, right? And the factions will just have their own completely distinctive separate worldview. Yeah. And that worldview shapes then how they receive information, how they interact with other people online, you know, how they interact with themselves. <laughs> and we're seeing so much of that type of like your worldview preordains how you receive information really becoming part of every, every, every subculture, especially on the internet. And I think it's not just about conspiracy theories, although conspiracy theories have a lot to do with it. And like many of the people who are kind of engaged in that worldview ish thinking also ascribe to conspiracy theories or mm -hmm. can be susceptible to them which i think is why you saw so much weird shit percolating around this trial like her clothes being analyzed yeah. things like that because all of that goes to support the worldview right and so like yeah. all the little details like don't really have anything to do with proving whether a crime happened they have to do with undermining her you know yeah. the yeah. goal is not to solve the thing the goal is to prove that she's lying yeah, yeah. Basically, it just kind of felt like the tabloidification of everything also had a big play on, like, why people's little, like, worm brains were viewing it in these ways of, like, gamifying it as well, because... I feel like tabloids for so long have been like, oh, we talked to like this body language specialist. We talked to the stylist about like why you should dress a certain way when you're going to a certain thing or like when you're going to court. I feel like also like the Anna Delvey situation and like the outfits that she wore when she was in court also probably didn't help with all of this. And Elizabeth Holmes yeah, too. Yeah, with yeah like exactly. The situation. Yeah. And so the, there's all these other cases where you've seen people being called into like these tabloids to these newspapers to give their quote unquote expert opinions on like why they dress this way why they dyed their hair why they did this before a trial but also you even have just like anytime anybody does like an interview or like even with the bachelor like these reality shows you have people on youtube who have like absolutely no qualifications being like yeah oh i'm i'm a body language expert i'm a this expert yeah. i'm a that look at how they're sitting look at what they're doing like look at all this like producer manipulation and it's like a courtroom can't have producer manipulation in the same way a reality show can and like you shouldn't be viewing a court case in the same way that you view other yeah. pop culture moments that you're digesting. Well, also, if you're a true crime fan, you know that actually the history of criminal justice in America is littered just from top to bottom with bad pseudoscience. Yep. Like, like there's all like body language is absolutely something that police could use to intuitively decide that somebody's guilty. You yeah. know, like lie detector tests, complete bullshit. Yet every single like police department uses them like to this day like even though they're not admissible in court so like if you are being critical and if you are treating this as a crime you know even if you if you're trying to approach it from that level like it's all been debunked it's all like pretty much been established as bad yeah. you know and so even from that perspective there shouldn't be any room for it even though it, it frequently pops up in true crime tropes as it were and again there's 
a good presentation of the courtroom situation should take that into account, you know, should at least try and make, like Court TV, for example, had a really good opportunity to do meaningful analysis and really try and teach people about like the difference between a defamation case and a criminal case, Mm -hmm. you know, and why certain things didn't amount to meaningful evidence the way you might think they would because this isn't an evidentiary trial in the same way that a criminal case would be, right? But there was none of that. It was just like, hey, we've got your depth footage right here. Come and get it. And it was just very, very sensationalized. And this kind of comes back to the idea that thinking about things is not easy. <laughs> like, Maybe that sounds like an overgeneralization, but it's something that I think about all the time lately. Like, thinking about things well is really hard because you have to be nuanced. You have to accept nuance. You have to accept complexity. And there's just not room for it right now. And you also, like, you have to be somewhat trained or used to thinking in that way because as I just mentioned a little bit earlier we all know people love to read headlines and not really read anything past what they're just being fed essentially I do that all the time I'm terrible at that yeah like like, in certain situations I definitely do it too so it's like most of America is not trained to think in the way that you're describing basically right you have to I mean it does take patience and a willingness to dig past the headline to look at the evidence fairly and without judgment and you have to be willing to have your own preconceived biases challenged sometimes you know and it's so hard especially when you're in communities and when those communities are all pressuring you to feel a certain way you know Mm -hmm. like there's tons of research that basically show that when you're in a community you're more persuaded to think the way the people in the community want you to think Mm -hmm. which is just I mean, it sounds like a cult, but also sounds like just human nature, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like you want to, you want to please the people that you're around, right? Yeah. It's kind of like hive mentality, yeah, hive yeah, mind of it all. But I think like one thing that, I mean, we've said like this really snowballed into like this whole other monster. Like it wasn't even about the defamation case anymore. It was like, was Amber Heard lying? And that's basically what it came down to and what it feels like the jury even probably voted on since they were allowed to watch media, which also just seems extremely unfair. Absolutely. Like, I don't know how appeals will go in this situation, but it seems like there are plenty of grounds for appealing the verdict. Yeah. I mean, apparently it just came out that one of the jurors was not the juror they said they were. So... Oh, that's fun. <laughs> we're going to have to see what happens there. But something else that you kind of like wrapped up your article with was that you said the Depp Heard trial has just trained millions of people to discard their own empathy, their own rational judgment in exchange for a gleeful mockery, rejection, and belittlement of a woman making herself vulnerable in public. And it's like, if you strip away everything, it's like where is our humanity in all of this? Like, that's what really hit me in all of this. And I think where is our humanity and also where is our willingness to just let these people be? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like to some extent, and I think we're going to see this, especially with the Evan Rachel Wood case, because that case, especially to me, seems like it's going to be much more about legalese in a way. Yeah. Because like, I like even just reading the allegations, I'm like, I'm glad I'm not a lawyer because there's a complexity level here that I don't think the general public should be allowed to weigh in yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. And I think that there should be some sort of acknowledgement from us that we're not lawyers and that the court system, to yeah. a degree, is set up to handle cases because they are complex and because they cannot be decided by public opinion, yeah. you know? So, like, if we do that, we are at least allowing Amber Heard the dignity of being her own person and not you know, a cartoon caricature or a meme that we are just here to eviscerate and then. Well, the other thing too is I don't think people understand the implications this is going to have on 
everything else. Like not even just court cases, like the way we live our daily lives and the way that like non-cis men are treated in public, like on the street. And I think like a lot of the, even like people we know, as Sarah said, like I went and looked after the case was like finalized the decision. I went and looked at like that post that Johnny Depp made on Instagram. And I looked at which of my friends follow him and which of my friends liked the post. I just don't like those people do not understand and maybe some of them don't even care to understand the bigger implications this has it's so hard because there's so much happening right now Mm -hmm. we have the repeal of roe versus wade we have trans people being used as like fascist canaries in the coal mine yep yeah and the sky literally falling in terms of climate change and nobody Mm -hmm. (laughs) doing anything about it like so many like we're basically living through kind of an apocalyptic era right now we're living in hell (laughs) we're living in a yeah we're living in like some sort of hell mouth and when you open yourself up to that you know you have to have some sort of existential reaction to it right yeah yeah and i think so many people just want to keep living their lives as though everything is normal yeah and this case, I think, is part of that. People attempting to sort of meme their way through it and around it as though there won't be any larger implications, even though people in the media have pointed out the larger implications, you know, have said, you know, this is going to be the death of Me Too, which never really got that far to begin with. Yeah. This is going to hurt domestic abuse survivors. It's going to hurt people's ability to, to talk about their own experiences. It's going to yeah. hurt women and non people in the future. I think it's so much easier to just go la 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 <laughs> and yeah, try and yeah. live your life and pretend that all of these things are not happening and that it's they're true. not all connected. And like, that's why I think there was this overwhelming alt-right conversation going on because the people who are just trying to live their lives are not like, are not out here prepared to go to war over these types of conversations. But it also just like in thinking of future cases, we also have like Megan Thee Stallion and Tory Lanez in which in 2020, Tory Lanez allegedly shot Megan Thee Stallion in both of her feet and she's had to get surgery. She even posted photos of it. But the whole thing is that people online have been harassing her since day one of this happening to no end like still like after two years I think also like the court hearing date just got pushed back like very recently and Tory Lanez was like going on Twitter and just like airing out his opinions and like bad mouthing Megan and I think the court did like a cease and desist or something along the lines of that to Tory Lanez to be like fuck off and shut the fuck up that's like at least sane yeah and people are just not believing her like not believing her. she has no reason to make this up and there's literal evidence of her getting shot in the foot well this is the thing like in 2017 hashtags believe women you know were everywhere and have been everywhere for like most of the last decade and where are they now they're certainly not you know showing up to remind you to believe these women in particular you yeah. know it's like believe women and hashtag me too like always seems to be this very like generic rallying cry until it comes time for you to believe these specific women and then you always have an excuse right which i think is how so many of these trial by media things tend to play out if we look especially just at the history of you know women coming forward to try and get justice against politicians for example or supreme court justices for example Mm. everybody wants to believe women until it's time to believe women yeah (laughs) Until it's a man who's in power. Yeah. Right. Or a man that you like. Right. Right. Completely. And I understand that it's complicated and people don't want to like look too hard because everything is, is on fire. Yeah. And I think that there is a real temptation to opt for complacency. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, in the face of all of these things that are happening, because 
if you decide you need to fight, then which fire are you going to put out? Which of the 85 fires are you going to try and put out? And it's overwhelming, right? So maybe it's easier just not to think too hard about any of it, but it's all connected. Like it's really all connected. Like the same tactics that are being used to mainstream manipulation around the herd trial are the same tactics being used to mainstream these terrible hysterical semantic arguments against trans people existing. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything's just so frustrating and it's like, like you were saying, oh, believe all women until it's like a woman you don't want to believe and it's like who makes that choice you know but it's also on top of all of that it's like the statute of limitations of like when women are allowed to come forward or not just women but like when abuse survivors are allowed to come forward to make their allegations like that's so small and that's a lot of what Evan Rachel Wood has been fighting for with her Phoenix Act of making the statute of limitations a lot longer because like there is that fear of like not only what your community is going to say but like the retribution from the person who abused you or attacked you or whatever the case is and like also from the public if you are a public figure or from like your school body or whatever the case is but it's also like the coming to terms with it and also like there's so many cases of even being shamed by the police that are supposed to be helping you or the people in the hospital who are supposed to be helping you because there are people who will go to the hospital they'll get a rape kit done they'll be like don't call the police like I don't want to fucking deal with this because they're too ashamed they're too uncomfortable everything is stacked against them yeah there's so much stacked against them it's so hard yeah and then on top of all that against them before during and after they go to court if they go to court and then once they're in court i mean it's really hard to prove a sexual abuse case yeah (laughs) for so many reasons and many of them societal reasons right and none of those societal reasons are getting easier when we treat victims like this yeah exactly and it's also just that thing where it's like with how much media and everything there is in regards to like fictional and non-fictional media about abuse cases and assault and all that it's like men are getting and I'm saying men because like men are going to leave more of like a DNA trace if they're not smart about their act of you know sexual violence but like they're getting smarter they're wearing condoms when they're raping people they're doing these things where like they're leaving less evidence behind because they know what evidence not to leave behind because law and order is telling you and because these media trials are telling you in all these sorts of situations and so it's just scarier to come forward as a survivor of abuse or of assault or any of these things because you have no idea what people are going to use against you and I mean like even in the case of Megan the Stallion where she literally got shot and like has images of it and went to the hospital and had to go through rehab and had to go through all these things like on top of all that it's like she got shot by somebody she thought was her friend she got shot by somebody who she thought she like had this close relationship to in some regard of that they both had lost their mothers quite recently and they like bonded over that and they like talked about that and she was like this was somebody that I thought I had a bond with and he did this to me and he continues to do this to me like on social media and talking about it and like using it against her to try and put the court of public opinion against her and she's constantly embarrassed and scared and afraid and like eventually they're going to go to court for this and it's going to be another one of these cases of the media just taking this and like running with it for some reason because it's like who is this man nobody knows but for some reason everybody's like on his side rather than hers and it's just like why can't you believe somebody who has evidence and it's the same thing with Amber Heard where people are like oh well there's recordings of her cursing at Johnny Depp or yelling at him and he cut 
his finger from a wine bottle and all this stuff and it's like okay but also that's his evidence that he's bringing forward so obviously it's going to be more catered towards him than it would be towards anyone else and i think too you have to kind of let so say for example like the bill cosby case for example in terms of like me too cases that were pretty much open shut he did it everybody knows he did it he had a line of accusers right yeah but his conviction was overturned on a technicality right so the reality is that he did all of it but the fact that his conviction was overturned now he and his supporters can use to be like look i didn't do it yeah right but the reality is that the means and the modes of operation of the court should not always like the way that they impact our social media response like the way that they impact like how we understand the world aren't always like cut and dry yeah you know and and i think that so often and we saw it a bunch in the herd case like every time her legal team did anything that seemed a little suspect or a little weird people were like look they did this weird thing that means that she's lying (laughs) like there's a huge gap between our understanding of how people interact in normal everyday life and how a court case plays out yeah and we should not be necessarily basing our judgments of people based on what's happening in a courtroom like maybe mm-hmm. we should be basing them on like a broader more objective like a bigger picture version of reality right than just what we're seeing on a court tv you know or just what happens at a court of law do you know why this case was allowed to be televised because i feel like it's still a weird case to be televised other than the fact it's like two famous people i mean i think a lot of times judges do consider the fame element like because yeah. I, I think you know, Lanzito and the OJ trial was pretty heavily criticized for opening that up to the media as well. But he kind of came across as somebody who was quite happy to have the media participate in coverage. You know, like I think a lot of times judges feel that they would be doing a disservice to the public interest if they disallow the media and they disallow cameras. I personally, like obviously I'm not a judge, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think that obviously I'm not a judge. So I can't be like, oh, this is what that judge was thinking. I do think that often you can make a compelling argument that there is public interest but I think in this specific case when there was a history of harassment when there was a history of so much social media manipulation I'm not sure if the judge just wasn't aware of that or thought Mm. that they could keep it out of the courtroom but I think we now have ample evidence to show that you can't keep that stuff out of the courtroom and you can't keep it from impacting a case yeah Yeah. Yeah. well I mean that's what I was going to say in response to this is basically like this was proof that like these things should probably not be televised because it's hard to say whether or not the verdict would have been different but that's not really what matters what matters is the entire cultural conversation that happened around it because at the end of the day he was dragging her through the mud not just her but like women and like survivors of abuse through the mud like that was the entire point of this it wasn't even about the verdict and when you look at going back to Gamergate and you, and you look at that as like the, the playbook if Gamergate was the playbook we saw over the last however many years we saw how that was then expanded to the quote-unquote alt-right in general to the conservative mainstream in general to Trump supporters in general like really fueled by Trump's ability to just sort of state the truth in plain sight and assume that his supporters won't care or that they will manipulate the conversation to be about something other than what it is which is something that conservatives separately from Gamergate have also been codifying for decades if not century you know conservatives in general are very very good at making an argument or making 
a discussion about something completely different than what it should be about, Mm -hmm. right? So if, for example, you say Black Lives Matter, then conservatives are very, very good at going, but what about these three violent activists in the middle of this protest? What about these three violent people? You know, what about blue lives? Don't blue lives matter? What about this and what about that? There's a whole tradition around warping reality so the public conversation gets manipulated by many bad actors trying to get you to be hysterical and to be afraid of things that are completely irrelevant to the original yeah. conversation. Yeah. yeah. Also, it just brought up my mind. It feels like, as much as I hate to say it, like the conservatives are in power, like historically, historically speaking. And of course, uh, right now, politically as well. But it's always minorities and it's always the civil rights movement and like the first feminist movement and all these things where it's like minorities are having to fight for their voice, are having to fight for like, quote unquote, a seat at the table and the conservatives are the ones who have always been in power and who are trying to silence those people and push those people down and conservatives being predominantly white predominantly male although there are a lot of non-men who also fall into this category because it's kind of the default of america like on this podcast we've talked about a lot you have to unlearn misogyny you have to unlearn homophobia transphobia racism those are the default programs living in america and so it just feels like talking about this conversation it's like as much as the alt-right feels like the all right like you said it's been very mainstream to the point where it feels like it's really easy for people to fall into that conversation and like you have to like actively fight against it in order to like stand up to it absolutely it's almost like you have to install new software mm-hmm. yeah. that overrides the old software because our old software we are programmed to think in certain ways and we are programmed to really be unquestioning when it comes to certain narratives and that's also why i come back to the idea that thinking is hard because yeah. <laughs> you have to really like consciously figure out how to look past the narratives that you're being fed especially if you're surrounded by them if you're in like a red state where you would just hear these things and take them for granted because you you're surrounded by them right yeah yeah and i think especially that type of saturation happened around this trial which is one reason i think made it such a touch point you know for so many parts of the larger cultural conversation yeah and it's so weird to think about how much ideas that you would normally just like as people who exist in like the fandom spectrum of the internet like ideas that you would normally just correlate with like fandom behavior of being like just blindly following somebody you're obsessed with like not accepting any criticism of them not listening to that kind of like plugging up your ears being like la 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 like this is no I'm not listening to you like there can be no criticism and even sometimes it's not even like real criticism it's just like oh like they could have just done a little bit more and then their fans are like how dare you you're saying mean (laughs) things about my fave and it's like I'm just saying that like they could have done more but then those same things are getting pulled into sexual assault cases or defamation cases or even like people's behaviors towards following the alt-right and kind of Nazi behavior in a lot of ways and it's just like so shocking how much people look down on like fandom culture and people being part of fandom and like wanting to be part of that when like it's just an intrinsic human thing that people act like towards other things but when it's not called a fandom it's just like oh you're part of the conservative party or you're just like posting you're in the Jesus fandom you know like I honestly think we should just start calling like gun enthusiasts gun fans like gun super fans and then just like let people like ridicule them like it's so easy to shame fans like okay go shame the Jesus fandom go shame like toxic (laughs) toxic Jesus fans like get out just like you know, oh, like your Everyone hasn't done a concert since AD 34. Shut up. Everyone <laughs> listening, you know what to do. I love that. But honestly, like, I feel like that's such a thing and like so legitimate of just like if we fangirlify 
Jesus. If we fangirlify the alt-right, you know, like if we start calling them fangirls, all of a sudden they're going to be like, what? No. How dare you? Well, also, I think we just reframe the way that society views them, right? Yeah. Because like, we've always seen this, like if it comes from, like there are so many like toxic white male privileged hierarchies within mm-hmm. even subcultures. So yeah. if something comes from like the Game of Thrones or the Star Wars side of like white geek male fandom, then it's like the best thing ever and it's yeah. venerated and it gets 18 million documentaries about how culturally valuable it is or whatever. Yeah. But if it's yeah. Harry Potter, then you get memes being like, read another book yeah. forever and ever and ever. And then J.K. Rowling goes and becomes a turf and yeah. now like, but before she was a turf and Harry Potter was this thing, right? Like it was, you know, completely vilified. Like it was not like, yeah. you just look at the difference in how those cultural touchstones were treated in terms of what was valorized and venerated. And like, we see that all the time in terms of like fandom, especially with like K-pop. Like it really, K-pop did not really begin to get any respect in mainstream media culture until K-pop fans started to like troll Trump voters in 2020. Yeah, that's true. And it was because people saw them doing something valuable that was like outside of their chosen profession, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> right? Which is organizing for good. <laughs> right. But it didn't come from like people learning an innate organic respect for K-pop itself, right? Yeah. Like it was all about starting to see them as three-dimensional, you know, and not tied yeah. to their fandom yeah. identity. And we don't really have that for so many fan cultures. Like people are essentially defined by being fans and to many people that is an automatic stigma. But to people within geek culture, like so many pieces of geek media (laughs) have fueled the sort of like latent fascist undertones of much of pop culture today. Mm -hmm. Like if you look I remember going to like Dragon Con in like 2012 or 2013 and going to like a Diesel Punk panel and the whole panel devolving into like how accountable Diesel Punk fans should be for all of the Nazi regalia in the fandom and like all of the like Nazi fetishizing in the fandom and so many people in the panel were just like no it's not real it's all fantasy it doesn't matter it clearly did matter (laughs) you know (laughs) like things like 4chan too like the many documented ties that 4chan and the anime like B and anime, those forums have to the creation of the alt-right as a community and the founding of the alt-right culture in terms of yeah. ironic memes and Pepe and things like that. Like yeah. there's so much overlap between so many parts of like yeah. white privileged geek fandom and all of this crap and also just to add on to that is like a lot of these fandoms are very heavily male and it feels like this kind of fraternity effect where like a lot of fraternities in texas are very racist Mm -hmm. and very misogynistic and that's what it feels like it feels like a boys club where they've never been challenged their thought process outside of being a man and what they're told being a man means in america and then they are all just like feeding on each other in that ideology in like the deep depths of the internet which is why all of this started with a community dedicated to eradicating feminists from gaming spaces yeah yeah it's all tied together everything ties together because it's also that thing where a lot of the responses to like those horrific texts that johnny depp was sending to like paul bettany and like his friends and like even emails he sent to like elton john like is saying like horrific things about what he wanted to do to amber heard or like his thoughts about amber heard and like all that stuff it's like oh that's just how men text i'm like if i knew a man was texting about me like that 
that man would, yeah. would be six feet underground faster than I could be six feet underground. Like, no, thank but you. It's like Trump. It's like Trump saying that all of his sexual harassment was just locker room. Yeah, talk. yeah, literally, literally, it's literally the same thing because yep. we are so ingrained culturally to excuse what men do as oh, just boys being boys, yep. you know. And we're taught over and over again to make excuses for men to look past their behavior to just assume that toxic behavior, misogynistic behavior from men is the default and to simultaneously shame women for not doing enough to protect themselves. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, on that point in your Gamergate article, you talked about how social media platforms and like big corporations basically did nothing in response to Gamergate until like the hate. And of course, like since Gamergate, we've seen so much more of that, especially surrounding Trump. But it just feels like at this point, social media platforms, because they did not take a stance back then to figure out how to eradicate this hate off their platform, it just feels like we're in too far and that's like not going to happen at this point. Because the conversations are already happening. So even if they get pushed off one platform, they're going to find another platform to go to. Well, I think it's, it's tricky because we do know that like there's research showing that if you deny people a mainstream platform it makes them like say in the case of extremists like extreme terrorism like people like ISIS it's harder for them to organize when they don't have a mainstream platform to recruit people through you know if they get completely kicked off that platform but it's tricky because a they do have other platforms to go to and those platforms then become even more extremified because those platforms like vote or parlay or gab basically the platforms that were set up to be homes to white supremacists because they kept getting kicked off of all the mainstream platforms like then those spaces become even more toxic right and they become even more extremified bubbles of community because you're isolating them from the rest of the normal like normal people who are around you on social media right so it's kind of a double-edged sword but i also think that it's getting increasingly harder to try and push back against anything on social media without conservatives getting outraged because of free speech and to some extent libertarians too like not just conservatives people just seem to be so terrified of like encroaching free speech that they will do anything to avoid it even if it means you know allowing nazis and terrorists and people who advocate violence onto their platforms and people who are obviously bad actors because they just don't want to be called free speech suppressants. And I mean, the thing is, like, as you're saying this, for example, banning those types of groups from, let's say, Twitter is just a Band-Aid solution. Like you said, number one, those conversations are still going to go on. But number two, like, this is a bigger systemic cultural issue where, like, in school from a young age, there needs to be a certain level of feminist type of education going on. Uh, good luck. Yeah. And like probably not calling it feminist education because um, of course that would be vetoed so quickly as they're trying to ban critical race theory right now. Ohio's trying to pass a law that teaches both sides of the Holocaust. So. Yeah. So like we're literally going backwards in this sense, but I'm saying that's like in an ideal world, that's what we need is like yeah. from a young age, more proper education on this stuff because once you're an adult and you're like deep in it, it's probably really hard to like pull somebody out of that. If you think about like how much regressive movement has been done to remove things like equitable education on race from schools under the guise of quote-unquote banning quote-unquote critical race theory which isn't really even taught in classrooms to begin with until a college level right but like if you think about the way that conservatives have been trying to legislate against that type of education, you can easily see that expanding to, okay, now we've banned teaching about slavery. Now can we ban teaching about gender? (laughs) Can we ban questioning gender roles in school? Can we- It's literally horrifying. It is horrifying, but I think this is where we're headed because it definitely seems as though we are 
deep in an age of anti-enlightenment right now. Yeah. In general, we are seeing people wear ignorance like a badge of honor. Yeah. We are seeing people trying to weaponize the fact that they don't trust facts, that they don't trust science, that they don't trust, you know, peer-reviewed research, that they don't trust mainstream edited media all of these things are working together with the like conspiratorial nature of online communities right now to bond these people together in this worldview that is very anti-enlightenment and that you bond over your ability to come together and reject information with all these other people and to quote unquote do your own research about whatever whatever the issue is that you're invested in i'm like can we just ban that phrase like (laughs) but i mean like to michael hobbs point like he used the same phrase and was like nobody is doing their own research because everyone is just like believing all these lies Well, also, if you do your own research, like, then you have to, in this case, like, the quote-unquote research quickly gives you information that you may not want if you're a depth fan, right? So doing your own research, it's like a selective strategy, right? Like, because if it's in your best interest not to do any research at all, you know, and to believe things that have been specifically pre-vetted and served to you because they feed your worldview. Exactly. Yeah, then I think many people are fine with that. Well, yeah, and I feel like that's the problem that we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation of the fact that a lot of the quote-unquote normal outlets you would expect to be reporting on this weren't until it was over, and then it was people like Michael Hobbs who genuinely were paying attention, responding to it, instead of people who, you know, it was, like, too little too late because people were, like, too afraid to write about it while it was happening because of that whole, oh, well, they both seemed like they were abusing each other sort of mindset. Yeah, like, it's complicated. Yeah, which is really frustrating. And again, like... The whole point, like we keep saying, of like talking about this is to talk about like this precedent that this is setting and already how there is this constant distrust of any abuse victims, specifically women, and like that we've seen this a lot in the past two years with Megan the Stallion. And obviously, you can't really talk about this Johnny Depp thing without also bringing in the Evan Rachel Wood, Marilyn Manson situation, which I just wanted to like touch on very briefly, specifically because Johnny Depp and Marilyn Manson are like besties. And I feel like in that regard, it's like Marilyn Manson already has a bad rap with most of like the general population. Like a lot of people view him as... A scary man. I mean, he took his name from Charles Manson anyway. So, you know, like there's that. But like a lot of his imagery and everything about him has always been scary. I feel like anybody who's like a younger millennial had a rumor around their school about how he got ribs taken out so he could give himself a blowjob. Like I think everybody. I did hear that one. I think everybody knows that rumor. <laughs> that was like a collective rumor across all of the United States of America. So he was always just like this scary creepy figure and I mean he essentially groomed Evan Rachel Wood from a young age laid claim on her imprinted on her if you will took her under his wing and just kind of like locked her up in his house and abused her consistently and she did not name him for years because of fear of like retaliation because even while she was talking about him and trying to like change laws and help save other survivors of abuse and like other survivors of his specific abuse like like, on top of all of this knowledge of Marilyn Manson being just like an all around not great dude and Evan Rachel Wood being genuinely afraid of him like there's a really incredible documentary about her struggle with their relationship on HBO Max which I suggest everybody should go watch it's incredibly moving and just like very interesting but like again she for so long didn't name him because of the fear because he instilled this fear in her of like oh I know people who can come after you I know people who can hurt you I know people who can do this X 
XYZ. Like your family's in danger if you tell anybody who I am, like who this person is who did this to you, whatever. And so the fact that Johnny Depp is besties with Marilyn Manson and talks about them being really good friends and talks to Marilyn Manson about like how he wants to burn Amber Heard's body and like all this sort of stuff. It's like Marilyn Manson's not the person to be talking to about that and like expecting things to be okay. But on top of all of that, it's like my take that I feel like isn't a hot take, but some people might view it as such is it's like Marilyn Manson and Johnny Depp knew that the world was like more approving of Johnny Depp than they are Marilyn Manson. They were kind of like, okay, Marilyn Manson's like, I'm trying to like do a defamation case against Evan Rachel Wood, but like, I don't know how that's going to go. And Johnny Depp's like, oh, well, I have a reason to do a defamation case against Amber Heard. So let's try that and see what happens. And then because Johnny Depp is like so beloved, apparently, which like I didn't really realize was a thing. Like now that he's won this defamation case, it's like now Marilyn Manson can go ahead and do this. And even though he probably won't win, because there's like I mean now I have no idea because I thought that there was no way Johnny Depp was gonna win but I mean like now Johnny Depp has proven that like oh if you want to like abuse your partner in public in front of everybody for funsies for like a month and a half you can do that like you can go ahead and do that and the media will love it and they'll talk about it and the tiktokers will love it and they'll talk about it and that's what scares me about all of this is it's like now it's proven that like you can at least get that court date you can get that time in court to essentially abuse your partner in the public eye for like as long as it takes and the really terrifying thing is that there's no end to that like it's a bottomless pit because there's always going to be new people and even you know other people who I kept thinking of Kevin Spacey like this is exactly the kind of thing that Kevin Spacey would try you know to manipulate and tarnish his abuse victims right if if they came forward and tried something like this yeah because we've already seen people memeing the fact that some of his victims have died which is just horrific to me I bring up Kevin Spacey specifically because AI used to be like back in the 90s I was a big fan of his and so when the abuse allegations came out, the I was one of the people to write about them. And so I really dug into them. And he is horrific. He's a serial rapist, basically. Yeah. And if you look at the accusations made against him, like, they're all horrifying. Like, he is just a monster. And that has been completely whitewashed. And, like, the way that people talk about him, like, he's already become, like, a huge joke. Like, people are just like, oh, Kevin Spacey, he's creepy. Like, his characters in the movies. And, like, they, yeah. and they joke about how he's killed his victims. And to begin with, there never was full attention given to how awful the allegations against him were because there were so many coming out so quickly. And I think, like, the number of them just sort of got lost in the public's response but I can easily see somebody like that who has a known history of manipulation trying to basically use this case as a textbook you know and as a jumping off point for what they want to do themselves the next time they're accused or somebody tries to take them to trial or the next time they have an opportunity to wreak further abuse on someone because they've seen this as a playbook essentially and I think just like Gambergate, this type of thing can be expanded upon. And in the case of Marilyn Manson, there are so many reasons to talk about his behavior in general, like his Nazi fetishism, his racism, his violence, the fact that he essentially kind of raped her on camera with other people in the room watching like what were they doing and what were the circumstances in that production that allowed that to happen so we can learn from it and not replicate it, right? 
but all of that will get lost if if this trial proceeds the way the Johnny Depp trial did. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, to Sarah's point, we you know potentially had faith in the Depp Heard trial because of what was already proved and ruled upon in the UK. Like there was actual evidence and text messages and phone calls to corroborate everything my worry with the evan rachel wood thing and like i understand why she probably did the hbo documentaries because she wants to get her story out there her way on her accord when she can but also just because probably the rape things will be thrown out because of the statute of limitations i'm guessing and it's like the other stuff that he's done like of course i haven't read like a detailed report of everything and obviously this will all come to light much more but like I feel like a lot of the things that he's done is just him being like a creepy man because a lot of it is like very extreme like kind of cultish kind of like sex cultish and like he does a lot of like blood stuff he branded like every woman that he's ever been with like he would brand them so which like I feel like it's gonna be stuff where it's like ooh, that's like kind of gross but is it illegal like I feel like it's gonna be a lot of that stuff surrounding Mary Marilyn Manson. It's just like, I guess the thing also is, is that in a lot of ways, I'm glad that this case didn't happen like sooner because like we said, like the Mariah Carey situation. And like, if you look back on just any other really shitty relationships that have happened in Hollywood, like there are so many cases that like women would just have not been believed or things would have been thrown out. But I mean, I just feel like you said like this Evan Rachel Wood thing, it scares me of what that could mean because obviously the Depp Hurt situation was also horrific, but I mean like Marilyn Manson is like this whole other level on top of all of that. And so that, is like really scary of what it can mean going forward. And I think too, if you look at things like Chris Brown and Rihanna, cases where the public mind, like the alleged abuser continues to be super popular and to really kind of face no repercussions for their alleged abuse. Like there are so many examples of that in Hollywood. And all of this is just going to bolster the validity of treating those people like that. You know, because even with Johnny Depp, like people were kind of celebrating this as as his vindication for the fact that he, for example, was dropped from the Fantastic Beast franchise, you know, and the fact that he was having trouble getting work, even though a lot of that probably had to do with his own onset conduct, for example, because he had gained a reputation for being just kind of washed up and volatile and unpredictable and difficult to work with. Right. Yeah. But now all of that is becoming, look, she did this to him and now he's gotten his own back and he's justified and he can resume his career like that man hasn't made a good movie in over a decade like i don't understand why people are so obsessed with like his redemption <laughs> he's like, already rich like, like well, people love it people love a good redemption arc though especially uh, in hollywood right so but this is the only thing. for this men is, only this for is men. how this is how this works like this is how the narrative goes for people like this it always works in their favor and so often the women who come forward are just they have their lives ruined and they gain nothing from it It's also just, yeah, 100% of people being like, oh, like she wants to ruin me, all this stuff. It's like, she has almost nothing to gain from this, like almost nothing to gain out of it. And now she has even less. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. It's just scary because it feels like it's going to embolden a lot of people who like had thoughts of like the way they're allowed to treat their domestic partner. And like the abuse is probably going to get worse because of having seen this so publicly. I also want to kind of zoom out once again and talk about this as a in line with the other trends that we've seen because what we're seeing right now in 2022 is a definite pushback on every single cultural front against progressive strides towards equality that have been made across most 
identity vectors, if you will. Yep. Yeah. Like so we're seeing we're seeing a systematic pushback against black equality, against queer equality, against gender queer equality, against feminism and against, you know, women's rights generally. And we're seeing all of this happening as kind of unified front because like again, it's all tied together. And so if we step back and look at the bad actors who manipulated this trial, it was part of the tactic, the larger tactic, to push back against the progresses made by Me Too, which again, we're not that much to begin with. But Me Too did succeed for a while in really turning the public conversation towards the victims and centering the victims and centering conversations about public behavior and acceptable like workplace conduct, for example, and acceptable types of power structures and power imbalances in relationships. It focused attention for a while away from things like Roe v. Wade and away from yeah. things like Lean In and all of these other like, not that Roe v. Wade was aesthetic, but there's a lot of like aesthetic conversation about femininity happening yeah. before Me Too kind of came along and really redirected the conversation. And the work of this trial has been part of the larger work of pushing back against women's rights in a way that also is echoed by everything else that's happening around us. Like the same type of pushback against the victims for speaking out, against the victims for existing, is happening on every cultural front right now. And I think it's yeah. just important to really keep that in mind as you see more trials like this happen, because we know that there are going to be more. Yeah, and I feel like that's why it's so important to talk about this on any platform you have access to talk about it in this regard of like shining a light on the fact that people were just kind of turning a blind eye to it because they were just falling for the memes and they were falling for whatever media they had access to that wasn't actually informative and they're being like well have you watched the whole trial and it's like they probably weren't even watching the whole trial themselves and while this isn't the normal type of celebrity thing that we would talk about like on this podcast it's so important to discuss because it affects feminism it affects rights of anybody who's not a cis white man it affects just like the future of America in a lot of ways that like you wouldn't really initially think because like Asia said thinking is hard and a lot of people don't think in that regard like they're not putting on their critical thinking hat when it comes to topics like a defamation trial that was for some reason viewed as a sexual assault he said she said trial and that wasn't what it was supposed to be and it's just like everything is so scary right now of like where this country is going in regards to the rights of people who don't look like Johnny Depp and talking about these things is so important and how they could affect not only other celebrity cases but just like day-to-day life for anybody who goes through a similar thing and I think it's just to be blunt like we are seeing a fascist regime kind of take over the country like not to be too not to call it out for what it is that's what's happening we're seeing like fascism a resurgence of fascism in america and we're seeing all of these things happening because they are part of the shift to change the culture and the way you change the culture is to get lots of people on board with doing one thing that seems like it's isolated and then you mainstream that so it's not isolated so you get a bunch of fans of johnny depp to like i said join together in gamifying the harassment of this alleged abuse victim amber heard right and then once you do that once you've gotten them on board with that playbook then you can expand it to all these other things and i think we're seeing that now like we're seeing that with the way that the media was so unequipped to deal with the ramifications and the implications of the herd trial right i mean we even saw like progressive media outlets i know i saw one sort of outlet that i would not have expected to write a piece like this write a piece that was like amber heard is probably lying and i was like really are we doing this (laughs) 
and all of the pieces from other media outlets that were like, here's why a bird is not lying, did not get a, you know, a tenth of that type of, of coverage or, or saturation. Yeah. And obviously we're not being talked about on Tucker Carlson every night, right? It's important to be aware that this is happening and it's important to be aware that the media is complicit in it and that if you are participating in this type of gamified communal social takedown of a person online or in your online community, you need to be very sure that you're not also playing into this, right? Because I think yeah. there are so many layers of this and there's so many levels of different community where this could be happening where something like this could be happening and so i think it's up to each of us to just be aware of what we could be contributing to and make sure that we're not playing a part in it yeah i mean i think that is like a perfect note to end on because it's like the conclusion to all this is guys be a little bit better critical thinkers and hopefully like this episode will help people be better critical thinkers and be better feminists in general and i'm just so grateful that you were able to come on our podcast and share this discussion with us because as we said it's like so so important so i just want to give a big thank you for joining us no it was my pleasure i'm really happy that we got a chance to talk about it and so with that being said we're gonna have links to your twitter and like all of your writing in the description below so if any of you guys are listening and you want to check out more asia is really really great we love them very much so we'll have that in the description below and yes once again a big thank you asia for joining us we hope you guys learned something today you better have learned something today because i feel like i learned a whole lot of stuff today i learned so much today and i'm just like so thankful that asia came on our podcast like a dream come true truly but i just feel like not to you know lecture y'all but I feel like this is a really important thing to think about more critically than I think most of the internet was throughout all of this I feel like I've been yelling to nobody about the Amber Heard Johnny Depp case for forever so it's just nice when other journalists you respect have the same ideas and thoughts about it for sure and also just like in general like obviously this is outside of the bounds of our podcast a little bit but it's also not because everything is just so relevant yeah. So thanks for sticking with us, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Yeah, we hope you take something away from it and understand that, like, the way that, you know, you have to pay attention to feminism in media sometimes outside of the scope of music because it will always come back to these women that we talk about day in and day out on this podcast of people who get into, uh, like, uh, imbalanced relationships and imbalanced record deals and all those things. And this can come back to bite so many people in the ass. And I know it sounds so serious about, like, a defamation case, but, I mean, clearly we all saw how the world and the right-wing media took this case and ran with it. So I feel like it's a worthy thing to be expanding on in this regard. Absolutely. Yeah, so if you have any thoughts or feelings about this episode or this case in general, we'd love to hear from you. You can chat with us on social media. We are at Name3Songs on all platforms. Or if you have any personal grievances or thoughts that you'd like to take up with us one-on-one, I am at Sarah underscore Fagan and Jenna is at Jenna underscore Million. So thanks for joining us this week on Name3Songs. And until next time, never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band. And remember, you're never too cool to be a loud feminist. Truly. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out and leave us a five-star review. They really help. If you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode, you can visit namethroughsongs.com. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.